Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel. Today I'm here with Laidback Luke. What's up? <laughs> so you were born first in the in Manila, in the Philippines. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I was born in Manila, in the Philippines, uh, because my dad, who's from the Netherlands, he came over there to do voluntary work. Oh. And I stayed there up until my third or fourth year I, uh, I moved out to the Netherlands. Is a lot of your mom's hustle there? Oh yeah, yeah, all of my mom's bit. family. Yeah. yeah, and how often did you do you go back now or not so much? Just like once, once every two years. Yeah, to that's, perform really. Yeah, that's so cool because I grew up in Hong Kong and my mom grew up in Philippines, so I I used to go there like three times a year, so oh, I'm like wow. super familiar. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember much from? I guess you were really young, but do you remember much? Well, the first time I went back, uh, I was like nine years old. And it, it was so odd for me, like mm. coming from the Netherlands and going back into the Philippines, obviously because a lot of areas are real poor and my family yeah. comes from, like they're middle class over yeah. there, but over in the Western world you would say they're like poor. Mm. And then I have family on the countryside as well, like living in a bamboo house and wow. like uh, cousins uh, climbing up coconut trees and wow. yeah. <laughs> have you ever had, this is something that I asked a lot of like mixed people, but have you ever had any identity issues with the, the two cultures? Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so in the Netherlands I'm considered a brown person or an Asian person, but over there um, I remember going on Asia tour, I was like in Singapore and I was getting a haircut and I'm like, oh I'm so glad I'm getting a haircut here because um, Usually in the Netherlands they have like problems with my Asian hair oh. because it's like stiffer and thicker. Yeah. And the, the the hairdresser looked at me and he was like, "You're Asian?" And so in Asia or in the Philippines, I'm more considered white than Asian. Yeah, even so, when I'm in Hong Kong, I'm half American. Yeah. So. <laughs> so there is like it's constantly like an uh, identity crisis. Mm -hmm. How big was the Filipino upbringing in your household? Well, it was big uh, concerning like uh, food, uh, of course, and mm -hmm. my mom always had a lot of uh, Filipino friends over, and uh, I did grow up like listening to a lot of the language, but my mom never took the time to to teach us that, my, mm -hmm. my brother and I, and so when I was 20 years old, I, uh, I took a course in Tagalog, oh, wow. and so I, uh, I can kind of speak it like a four-year-old, but... <laughs> This gets very embarrassing when I'm in the Philippines or, or even... So in the Netherlands, they don't have a big Filipino community. Like it's practically non-existent. Oh, wow. So when I came over to the States to perform, um, I saw all these Filipino people and I wanted to communicate with them. And mm. like when, uh, when I would like get a tea somewhere, I would say, Salamat po. <laughs> and then uh, I was like, this is so amazing. But yeah, in the Netherlands, it's very rare. Yeah. <laughs> And I know that when you were growing up, your your dad, your brother, your uncle, they all played instruments like since a young age. Yeah. Was it like guitar or? Yeah, guitar and piano and uh, and drums and that sort of thing. And when the family got together, they would all play music. And the funny thing is, I always thought I had it from the Dutch side of the family. Mm -hmm. But then I discovered that, my, so my uh, Filipino family's last name is Baruelo. Mm -hmm. 
And there's this famous Baruelo band in the Philippines who plays uh, on uh, Navy ships and they just perform. I was like, whoa, so it's from the two sides of the family. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> what uh, careers are your parents in? My parents, uh, my dad is a, how do you call it? Mechanical engineer. Oh. Like he's like my dad can fix everything, really. <laughs> but I'm creative, so I can't fix anything. My mom just does simple work. Like she used to just always like like shoot price tags in clothes or uh, what did she do? Like in packaging and just like simple stuff. Mm. What kind of music was played in the house when you were growing up? Uh, I grew up listening to a lot of uh, Beatles and Pink Floyd. That's my dad's side. The first ever uh, electronic album I heard was uh, Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. Mm -hmm. And my mom listened to a lot of, uh, like, I guess it's called emo rock, oh. like Scorpions and <laughs> Meatloaf. And, uh, but she loved like Elvis Presley as well, so we would dance on like Elvis Presley mm -hmm. songs. And, yeah, that sort of thing. Do you remember how you found Pump Up The Jam? That was a big song when you were yeah. growing up, right? Yeah, I do, yeah. So I was a teenager back then and I was listening to hip hop and what I always loved about the early 90s hip hop was the like the jump up energy like House of Pain and Criss Cross and that sort of thing and hip hop became more and more like music for stoners and the energy got away and then all of a sudden I heard uh, heard Pump Up The Jam and it was like hip -hop, combining hip hop with like electronic dance music and I was mesmerized by it it was like made me made me want to jump up and uh, and but the thing is then I, I had a friend who had uh, pump up the jam on his computer and he could mute out the beats and he could take out the melodies and take out the chords and and basically he could rearrange it the way he wanted and I was like wow so you can make music with a computer and mind you this was like the begin 90s so Hello. this was a revolution and um, I was like wow I want to get into it thanks to pump up the jam <laughs> And then what was the next step? Did you get a computer or how, how was the next step after that? Well, the that? next step was because I was broke. I uh, was uh, just making music on anything I could get my hands on. Like, um, my dad had like a cheap keyboard and I would record like beats for like five minutes. First the beat section and then the melodies over it. And so I would just play things. Um, and then we got like a cheap computer and the sounds weren't right <laughs> and it was... Uh, the program was called Tracker, and but the sounds were off. But I was still like making music on anything and everything. And then at a certain point, my uh, uncle had like an old Atari game computer, and he had Cubase on there as well. I managed to borrow money from my girlfriend back then, and uh, to buy a synthesizer. And then I started making my first real demos. How would you describe your personality back then, growing up? back then growing up well determined because mm. my dad w would always say like you know try and get a real job and you know from all the kids that are making music because yeah it was coming up he's like but how do you think like you are able to make it and I'm like well you watch me I, I will and so I was very determined but I, I was very broken I really was a nobody and I, I didn't even like from the family I came from I'm the one with the least musical talent and my family still laughs <laughs> at me. My brother, he can drum like punk music and he's incredibly musical and my dad even 
as well. But the, the one thing they lack is my determination and will and drive. Mm -hmm. How did you even know it was viable? Like, were people back then even, they didn't even have careers. So how did you think that? <laughs> yeah, good point. I mean, this was one of my biggest dreams was to live off of making music and so yeah mind you we didn't have instagram or the internet with like djs coming out of private jets and you know this is more like the hip-hop stuff and for me it was always just like i want to be able to pay my rent and buy my food from making music mm -hmm. and yeah so and and even now like when i when i need to go on a private jet or because i'll do two shows on a night, I'll never boast with it because I don't want kids to be in it for that. I want kids to be in there because they love their music and they have a vision or like it needs to be real like that. Mm -hmm. And then what was the next thing for your career, like the momentum? Well, the momentum was uh, a lot of small successes added up. Like there was, wasn't really like one big moment that I can pinpoint that it actually happened. And uh, this is what I always try to say, because a lot of kids want to be like, you know, have a career like Martin Garrix, and he got very lucky. This is like a winning lottery ticket. And for a lot of us, it's just like constantly, like having little successes, and then uh, going from there. And this was the same for me. So within my long career, it just added up in the end. Mm -hmm. And then how did you meet Steve and Swedish House Mafia? Well, Steve Angelo was a, was a kit that popped up on my laid-back Luke for forum and uh, he had heard from me because I had made an official Daft Punk remix in 1999 and Steve Angelo and the Swedish House Mafia they always wanted to be Daft Punk and they were like wow so we have this Luke guy and that's you know pretty much the closest thing let's let's go and see on his forum what's up with that and well, we uh, got in touch, uh, we were messaging each other and we're always saying like, oh, let's, uh, let's have you over in Sweden, let's make some music. And this was right before he started picking up momentum. And so, yeah, we started to make music. I was there with Steve Angelo and Sebastian Ingrosso came. Um, and it was never the plan to make music with Ingrosso or Axel, but they heard the music I was making and I was doing a couple of really cool bootlegs and and remixes and whatnot and and then we ended up like being in the studio with the three of us and this became an annual thing mm -hmm. uh, yeah it was very organically yeah and what clicked you to start the forum initially well it was originally uh, just a guest book on my website where people could leave messages but um, I, I remember getting a few messages with new kids asking and mind you this I think it was probably like bingo players that went on there and and he had like a producer type question I was like oh this is nice yeah I like I think, answering that I think I asked him that in his interview I interviewed him and I think he talked about that oh yeah well there you go. yeah yeah so it's real it is real where was your career at the point where you had the forum I was uh, signed to a sub label of Virgin the Netherlands mm -hmm. And I, uh, I had just put out like uh, the original version of uh, Rocking with the Best, so I had some, had some, um, some smaller fame going on, and I, I just remember coming up myself that I always looked for like a bigger DJ to support me, and obviously I have Chocolate Puma; those are like my mentors 
Um, but I, I always wanted to, to be that guy I, I was always looking for as a new talent. Mm -hmm. So when the producer questions came in, I was so happy. I was like, okay, so I know the answer to this question. Let's just, you know, type it out. And then the guest book became just so long with like messages and kids popping up that we needed to change the guest book into a forum. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I was there every single night, like answering a ton of questions. <laughs> Actually, going back a bit, was your first performance in Checkpoint Charlie? My first international performance was at Checkpoint Charlie in a place called Reading, just outside London, UK. Uh, yeah, January 1997, my first paid <laughs> international show. Can you describe how it was like that night? Oh, it was amazing. It was such a rush, but I was super nervous. Mm. Like, so I played with vinyl, and I, re I remember uh, going on and trying to, to drop the needle on the record, but my, my fingers were, were so trembling so much, I, I just dropped the needle oh like gosh. in the middle of the record, and then just try and sp spin it back and, and, and to mix it in, and it was terrible. I was so nervous, but I just remember the crowd being so good and such a rush coming off of like, you know, dropping your own tracks and the people responding to it. I remember waking up the next day uh, with a, like a little bit of a headache and beeping ears and it was just very overwhelming everything. But I did love it. It was like a first rush of DJ shows to mm -hmm. come. How did Avicii's post stand out to you recent, uh, more and more in the forum? Like there were so many people posting it. How did he specifically stand out to you and that you wanted to mentor him? Well, Avicii was like a lonely soul, so you can still look uh, look up his posts on my forum, uh, which is still open to, to be read. And I remember seeing posts coming by like on uh, MySpace as well, and he's, he's like, is there anybody out there? Can anyone listen to my music? And on my forum, he got those, uh, those listeners, and uh, we had a very active community. And uh, he started reaching out to me, giving me demos. Uh, fun fact, I still have his first ever demo wow. sent to me. And yeah, they sounded nothing like what, what you guys know now, but so he needed advice, he needed direction, and he was very eager. So I was very strict on him like I am with all my students, really. Like even now when I do my demo listening vlogs, some, some people say, but oh, so you hear a track and there's this wrong snare in there, and then you, uh, you discard this demo, and I'm like, yeah, I'm that strict. And so with Avicii as well, but he always came back, like he always improved and he always fixed things and I remember his biggest like turning point where, so this was must have been 2008 where all of a sudden he started making heavy electro house because this was the fashion then, it was like the John Dahlbeck was big and like the class remix of uh, uh, Guru Josh was big and so Avicii started making big chunky Dead Mouse, Wolfgang Gardner type of electro. And I listened to it, I was like, dude, this is not you. Like, I know this is the music that sells right now, but I think you should stick with like the, the Axwell piano sounds, the Eric Prids type of progressive sounds and do something with that. And sure enough, that was the sound he continued to, to grow in. Was that when you had your recording company with the label? And then he was like, well, he also did some shows with you, right? Yeah, so um, I started Mix Mash Records in, uh, this must have been 2001. So we, we had been going for a while and at a certain point I, I did want to sign Avicii mm -hmm. to my label. And uh, we, could, we couldn't really do it because um, 
we couldn't really do it because uh, he was signed to like Fish's records and everything. But yeah, we, you know, I, I kind of like demanded wanting to work with him, having, you know, trained him from the bottom up. And so, um, so we had him at my uh, Super UME show in Miami Winter Music Conference. I think this was 2009. This was his first show ever. It's still up <laughs> on his Instagram as well. Um, and then we did a mix compilation as well. His, his first ever DJ mix. It was like a back-to-back -back, uh, DJ mix CD where I mix CD1 and he mix CD2. And yeah, he had uh, Avicii Ryu uh, released on my label as well. And this was all like pre levels. And what are your thoughts now with electronic music? You were saying in some previous interviews about the Chainsmokers era. Yeah, I mean it's different now and uh, so after the EDM boom right now you see dance music getting smaller and smaller and it's been worrying me and I've been thinking about it and I just came from like Melbourne, Australia where it used to be huge and is now very small and even in the Netherlands as well it's just a, such a smaller Type of, type of music to go out and to dance to and I'm just thinking what happened like so one of the reasons I think is a lot of the dance music artists started making pop music and so instead of you know promoting dance music they're promoting pop music and so people that go out don't really go out to dance anymore mm -hmm. and so it's a tricky thing for DJs as well where you know, we used to promote dance music. We used to promote the four on the floor. And people forgot about that now. With all the guys going mainstream. Like, from the, from the inside out, we're, we're, we basically, we killed it. Like, literally killed it. it. Killed, like, so I am very jealous of, you know, the, the Deep House scene. Where there's an MK or Jax Jones. And they cross over making dance music. And so wherever they perform, people expect dance music. And so, you know, I, I, I was here before and I will be here after. But I'm just thinking about ways to make dance music big again. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what do we need to do? Yeah. Obviously, especially in the States, trap took over. People listen to it in their cars, at the gym, like when they go out. And this used to be dance music. So we need to, we need to bring it back. Yeah. So what, did, what do you, what have you thought? ways to bring it back well we just need to to let it grow from uh, from the bottom up again like start it start making more actual dance music again uh, promoting like DJ sets also there's supposed to be uh, an amazing lights for yeah wheeling in the kids again with the with the festivals keeping people dancing like older people dancing to dance music for in order for it to maintain mm -hmm. And how did it click to you to start your YouTube channel? Oh, that's an interesting story because, you know, you would think like a few years ago when everyone started to be a, like a YouTuber, like this would be a smart move, right? The management would say like, oh, you know what, you should just start doing the vlogging. But with me, it was totally something else. Actually, it was my 11-year-old son coming <laughs> in one day and he said, Dad, you got to check out my vlog. And I'm like, vlog? What's a, what's a vlog? And he's like, well, it's this, uh, it's this video thing I do on my YouTube channel. And I'm like, you have a YouTube channel? You're like 11 years old. So he showed me, and it was him going through his daily life with his little iPhone. And he edited everything himself, what? and he uploaded a, 
everything himself and I was like how, how how did you learn this like I didn't teach you like how do you know how to video edit and he had his little intros and he, he did it all on his phone with iMovie and it got me thinking like I was like well if an 11 year old kid can do this <laughs> I can do it and I I remember hating all those DJ after movies where the DJ jumps out of the private jet and oh, then yeah. in slow motion you see them jumping on the festival stage and then there's the CO2 and I was like ah this is so cheesy and I really wanted people to see the other side of DJing as well and so I was like I'm just gonna make my own and so the first few vlogs um, I shot like with my with my big chunky Canon 70D camera and at the end of the weekend I handed everything all the footage into my social media manager and he cut like five hours of footage into a one and a half minute video and I was like this is totally not how I intended it to be and it, it sucked as well and I was like you know what I'm gonna learn this editing thing myself and so I started doing it myself and three years later I'm so happy with it like this has become my new hobby and <laughs> Everywhere I go, people don't even talk about my new tracks anymore. They're like, oh, I watch your vlog every week. And um, yeah, it's just so amazing that, so now it's instead of the forum, it's my vlogs where I teach people how to like DJ and mm -hmm. produce. And how long ago was it when you got into Kung Fu? Kung Fu, I've been doing Kung Fu for almost 19 years now. Wow. So I've, I've always been doing that. And it's funny, some people think, yeah, oh, so Luke, that's a, like a really smart marketing tool that makes you stand out. And even producers and singers that I know say like, oh, that's an awesome gimmick. And I'm like, what? That's not a gimmick. That's my life. Mm -hmm. Like, Kung Fu is my second life besides DJing. And it's really my, my key to health and mental health as well, keeping that up. Mm -hmm. And you also do competitions, right? Do you do that I in do. Hong Kong? Or? Yeah, it's funny. So you mentioned yeah. Hong Kong because I did my world championships uh, <laughs> twice in Hong Kong at the big stadium there and uh, yeah that was wild it's always good so Hong Kong is uh, where my Kung Fu is derived from it's Choi Li Fat Kung Fu and in Hong Kong it has uh, quite quite a big name as well a long history and uh, yeah so it's uh, it was a it was wild though like seeing how that is in in China and all the mainland yeah. China people coming out to Hong Kong to compete that's next level <laughs> How would you say your music has changed compared to the early songs you made? Well, right now I'm actually full circle, so I'm pushing this sound right now that's called Twisted House, which is basically uh, Breakdown the House, or the, the track that I did in collaboration with uh, the Swedish house mafia called Get Dumb. So it's a, like a, a sound that, that I've been doing a while now. This is like the predecessor of the Dutch house, like bleepy, deep housey type of stuff. Um, and I, I'm bringing it back and so nowadays it's better mixed, heavier bass lines, uh, better effects and that sort of thing but it, I really want to have that like that pre-Dutch house type of feel in there. Mm -hmm. How do you see Bruno as a person compared to when you were younger? Well yeah, definitely matured, not even like age-wise but like just trying to stay out of trouble like 2018 which was such a rough year for everyone and obviously mm. you know with Hardwell uh, retiring and, and Avicii passing away made a lot of us think and um, it's been good to, to kind of like step out and see 
what we are doing, like what is this all about and why are we flying so hard and why are we doing this many shows and what is it about and so um, I've been trying to just like focus on staying sane really and because uh, pr prior to this I was just always on the go and always just doing back-to-back -back shows didn't even matter in what country and then try and combine my family life as well and now I take more time to to stop and enjoy life for a minute. Mm -hmm. What would you say have been your biggest challenges so far in your life? Biggest challenge? Yeah, it, and although people see that from me that I combine everything, still though, the com combining everything and trying to live while while wanting to have this, this big career as well, that's, um, you know, family life, combining that too. That's, that's, been, that's been tough, mm -hmm. for sure. And I'm still trying to figure it out. And it was a bold move of me to... So nowadays, I take one rest day per day. And I'll stay off of social media, which is great. You should try it one day of no Instagram, no Twitter, no Facebook, nothing. No emails. And I just lay in bed like I watch Netflix stuff. <laughs> and I can't do... I am not allowed to do anything. And it's, it's such a nice recharge. And this is... I never did this before. I was always like 24/7. I was the guy that emailed my management saying, "Oh, I'm going going on, on vacation." But yeah, just keep on emailing me during vacation. I don't care. I will just <laughs> work, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's been a big change, but it's made me so much more healthy, like mentally. What does love mean to you? Love. Yeah, I agree. Build your. Well, love is a love is a big thing, and especially an unconditional love. So the unconditional love I have for my kids, unconditional love I have for my current girlfriend, the unconditional love that I have for the Lord. Um, I fell in love with Jesus Christ like one and a half year ago, and I've given my life to Him, and it's been incredible. What a what a what an eye opener. And before this, I would say, oh, the universe gave me this, or it happened by coincidence, now I give all the praise to the Lord. Yeah. What was the turning point that, because it's interesting because I feel like Philippines is a very religious country. This is true, like my grandma, she's proud of me right now, like she, uh, every Wednesday she puts on like makeup and a nice dress and the family asks her, she's like 85 now, they're like asking her, so where are you going? And she's like, I'm, I'm going to see my boyf boyfriend. And we're like, boyfriend? Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love so that. So she's, she's been in love with him. I come from an atheist family. Mm. My dad is just very scientific. And I've always heard, like, you know, things in my head and always thought it was the universe speaking to me. But now I can finally give it a name. And I'm, I'm, it's like full circle with my Filipino heritage yeah. where I, I can just praise him and thank him for it. Was there a specific turning point for that? Well, I would say it was meeting meeting my current girlfriend, oh. which was uh, ignited by the Lord. Uh, and I got prompted to, to, for a lot of actions in this. And she's, she's very religious. And it's been, uh, it's, it just feels like coming home. It's, mm -hmm. it's been incredible. <laughs> Love that. Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? So I, um, I do feel in like... Whoa, this is dark right now. <laughs> I do feel like in the 40 years that I've, I've been living right now and the things that I've experienced, 
more and more, well, you hear like old people passing away. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, it's not about the money, it's not about the things you own. Uh, it's about the things you experience, but more importantly, appreciating the things that you experience and within that, uh, being remembered as being nice to people, yeah. having nice interactions with people. Uh, this is, some people call it the, the, the little things in life, but I call it the big things in life because people underestimate, underestimate these things and you're gonna be old and remember these type of interactions or what you could could have meant for someone else in a certain situation um, and this is the truth yeah I love this, this is so amazing thank you so much thank you <laughs>